love to have been in a service where that happened live, you know? That would have been a lot of fun, and uh, I feel like that that would have kind of made my day, you know? Um, why is laughter so enjoyable? You know, I think there is a level of irreverence that makes laughter so fun. And so today, we're talking about irreverent prayer. Um, that's for you Gator fans. I'll take, give you a second. So, uh, you know, Tim Tebow, good guy, good strong brother in Christ. There was a lot made about his prayer times, you know, during the game and stuff. And I just, I just found that cartoon to be quite funny, especially since I'm a Seminole fan. And so, but um, think about laughter, right? I read the, like, you know, that was on a YouTube video, and I read some comments on that video it, it happened several years ago, and there was a bunch of comments. Some people were very angry. I can't believe he would do that, how irreverent that is. You know, that's just horrible. And other people said, I think it's great. I think that God loved the fact that that's who God made the kid to be. He came in, he did it. The church was blessed by it. And other people said, no, he ruined the service. I mean, so I heard spectrum wide on, on that kid, you know, when it happened. And um, I began to think about laughter. And I got to tell you, had I been a pastor that was involved in that, it would have been one of the best memories I've had in my life. I do remember one time, and I used to be, you know, in a Southern Baptist church where we actually did that kind of immersion type thing, and, and I remember baptizing a guy named Hoss. He was a six foot three, 340 pound black man. I loved him. He was one of my best friends. He became a very good friend of my family, and I remember baptizing him in that pool. And I almost <laughs> fell in the water. And he had, had he had not helped me, I'd have, he'd have been baptizing me along with him, you know. I remember one time that I was in a meeting. And we had this once a month meeting with all the elders and the deacons and the pastors. And we were having this prayer time. And sometimes the prayer time could be a little lengthy, you know. And it was always the quiet, reflective type. So that was a little bit hard for me sometimes, you know. And there was another pastor on staff. Uh, he was sitting next to me. <clears throat> And uh, so we were sitting back there. He, he and I were kind of the same in that way. <clears throat> and so we had this pr time of prayer. It was like an hour long, right? Everybody's quiet. And we thought it was just about done. And, you know, you could tell when it was about done because the senior pastor would start to get up on the stage to close it up. And he was getting up from his seat. He was about to come on stage. And right before he got there, there was a deacon who was notorious for his extremely long prayers. We'd already been there for like an hour. And he was notorious for his extremely long prayers. And he got up and said, Heavenly Father. And I looked at the other pastor, and he looked at me, and he just went, <sighs> and he rolled his eyes. Everybody heard it. <laughs> I still remember that. It was funny. <clears throat> now, we did get in trouble because, you know, when he rolled his eyes and huffed, I laughed. <laughs> I was fired two weeks later. No, I'm just kidding. I... <laughs> but why is laughter so cool? Well, you've heard people say it's the best medicine. When you're struggling, when you're going through a hard time, maybe you're in the midst of a trial and somebody's there with you and somebody cracks a joke and the laughter kind of relieves the tension, right? Or, you know, I mentioned this before, but some of the most enjoyable memories that you can have in life are when you're just busting a gut laughing with friends about something. And I think, 
I think to some degree it's regrettable, right, that, that we don't have any memories of prayer times like that, or at least not very many. I mean, because after all, God made us to enjoy humor. I mean, could you imagine? I would love to set Les McCurdy free in prayer. Wouldn't that be fun? So some of the most enjoyable memories we have in our life is when we're laughing with family, with friends. Also, you know, laughter is an indication of common ground because, you know, when two, when two people or a group of people find something funny, it indicates that there is a commonality, a, a causality there that has caused you guys to connect on a certain level. Does that make sense? And so you, the reason you laugh is because you both get it at the same time. And so laughter becomes this incredible unifying opportunity. I've been, like, for example, you guys know Republicans and Democrats hate each other in Washington. They hate each other. But every year they do this correspondence dinner. And it's a blast. I love watching it, right? For the first time in a whole year, they're laughing together, and they find the common ground. They make fun of each other. They make fun of themselves. And what laughter does is it relieves the tension, it relieves the stress, and it creates a common ground. That's why sometimes when we're awkward... We'll do that courtesy laugh. Because, like, you know, you're a little bit, you know, somebody just said that, <laughs> yeah, and it's not really funny, but you're trying, to, you're trying to ease the awkwardness, right? Let's talk about some definitions that limit our experience. And what we're going to do today for the first time is we've been trying to redefine prayer for the last two weeks, but now this week we're going to add an ingredient to your prayer that I hope will begin to help you understand what it really means, guys, to pray without ceasing. Because if we really believe the Scripture, and the Scripture says that we're supposed to pray without ceasing, then clearly we've got it wrong if we think prayer is head bowed, eyes closed, knees bent. That's not going to work, especially for ADD people like me. First of all, we have this definition that prayer must be pious. In other words, you know, there's this, there's this religious air that we should approach prayer with. We should approach it in the right manner. We should approach it with the right mindset. We should be this, you know, it's, it's got to be kind of religious. Maybe there should be candles involved. Maybe there should be some quoting of Scripture first. Maybe it should start with, Dear Most Gracious Heavenly Father. And next week we're going to talk about some of the spiritual verbal habits we fall into when it comes to our relationship with God. But... We have this definition that prayer has to be pious. Another definition is that prayer has to be practiced. Like you must approach God a certain way. Like, for example, we're going to look at a passage in Hebrews today, and the, the whole purpose for the book of Hebrews, the author was trying to get the Jews to go away from relying on temple worship and relying more upon their relationship with Heavenly Father instead of this idea of having to approach God a certain way. And he even talks about the example of the Day of Atonement. What would happen the Day of Atonement? There was only one time a year where somebody could actually go into the presence of God, into the Holy of Holies. It was the high priest. And it was to form the sacrifice for the Day of Atonement. And what they would do is they would tie a rope around his waist in case he screwed up and God had to strike him down. And that was the way they had to approach the presence of God. And so... What happened is temple worship became very practiced, very ritualistic, very rigid because they wanted to do things the exact same way every time. And what the author of Hebrews says is, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to rely upon the rope around the waist anymore. 
Okay, another definition is that prayer must be refined. You know, put on your best inside voice. When you pray, you must use flowery language. Thee and thy and thou. And if you pray without an amen at the end, well, it's just a waste of time. And so prayer has to be refined. It, has to be, it can't be something that's irreverent. There can be no cannonballs in prayer. And then the last definition that I think that limits, and understand, I'm not saying that prayer can't be these things, but the last definition that might limit our experience if we, if we hinge prayer into it is that prayer must be reflective. It must be quiet. It must be sensitive. It must be meditative. Prayer has to start with a deep, deep breath. <sighs> Heavenly Father. Because it has to be quiet. Shh, we're praying. Have you ever been in that situation? It's very awkward when you're talking and somebody starts a public prayer. Whoosh. I messed it up. Now he's got to start all over. Now, how do these definitions fit into the idea of a life of prayer? I mean, and I know that not all of you have struggled with this, but I remember I confessed to you that I did. I struggled, and I really thought prayer had to be these things. And I was honest with you, and I told you a life of prayer really seemed unappealing to me. Because I couldn't pray without ceasing if, if that's what it is. I mean, for the most part, let's, there are some of you who are really cool people that, that could do this for hours on, hours on end during a day, right? But that's not who most of us are. God didn't wire most of us that way. And for a long time, I felt like, okay, well, the way to mark my spiritual maturity is how long I can stand quiet and reflective in the presence of God. I mean, that's really the key for me to know. Once I got up to an hour a day, I thought, man, I'm really doing good. I hate it but I'm really doing good. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every aspect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That word confidence right there. I want you to understand that word confidence can be translated many ways. It can be translated irreverently. It can be translated boldly. Sometimes it can be even translated recklessly. And so this is the point that I want to get to you to understand. The whole purpose of the book of Hebrews was to take the Jewish believers, Jews who had trusted, put their faith and trust in Christ, the whole purpose was to take them from their reliance on temple worship and make them more reliant upon relational worship, conversational worship. And he was saying, look, 
You can go boldly now. You don't got to be afraid anymore. So why can we be real with God? Let's break down this passage just a little bit. First of all, we see in verse 12 that the word of God is living and active. Now, what that means is that the word of God is constant. Remember we talked about this in James. Receive with meekness the implanted word of God which is able to save your souls. The word of God is constantly working in your life. It's not something magical because you've just read it. Right? As a matter of fact, the scripture even refers to Jesus as the word. That's a lot of people don't recognize that. They're almost synonymous. And so what we have to understand is that the word of God is active. There is a constant interaction going on between God and his people through his word. And so we have this connection with God through the word of God. Our connection is not through religion. Our connection is not through piousness. Our, reflection, our connection is not even through reflectedness. Our connection is through the work of Christ on the cross, the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we have to understand, our connection is based upon the active Word of God. That's one reason why we can be real. Because our connections are not based upon how we're doing or what we're saying. It's based upon what God did and what God is doing currently in your life. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of salvation. <clears throat> the scripture says, no man can pluck them out of my hand. So the work of God saving you is constant. It's evolving. It's, it, it keeps going. And so our relationship and the reason we can be real is because it's dependent upon the work of God, not our own piousness. Second reason you can be real with God, according to the scripture we just read in verse 13, there are no secrets. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. Your nature, your thoughts, even the very intentions of your heart, even if you mask them with piousness and reflectiveness as good as anybody your intentions are still raw and naked and revealed to God. There are no secrets. There's no misunderstanding. God knows exactly who you are. He knows how he made your personality. You don't have to change it. Why do we want to change our personality when we come to God? If you're a funny person, come to God with humor. If you're a serious person, come to God with seriousness. If you're a smart person, come to God with math problems. I mean, for real. If God has made you a certain way, he created you in his image in that way, why on earth would we want to try to turn into some sort of field-tilling monk before we come before him? Come on, that was a good line, field-tilling monk. <laughs> Thank you. I got nervous for a minute. I thought that was one of my best ones. I threw it out there, no response. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, give them a sense of humor, please. <clears throat> Another reason why we can be real with God is... You have a flawless advocate. We're not flawless, but get this, in verse 14 and 15, I love, this is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. Since then, we have a great high priest, Jesus, who passed through heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to what we believe, hold fast to our confession. And in verse 15, he says, for we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with who we are, with our weaknesses, but we have one 
who in every respect has experienced or has been tempted as we are, yet him without sin. And so basically what he's teaching here is this. Everything you know, everything you think, everything your heart intends is all naked before God. It's exposed. There is no secrets. He made you who you are. There's no reason to change what you are. And here's why. Because the active word of God, which is constantly there, able to divide and pierce and expose everything, right? We talk about that. It produces this high priest, Jesus, who came in the form of a man, experienced the struggles Look, he experienced bad jokes. He experienced temptation. He experienced embarrassment. He experienced joy. He experienced loss. He experienced pain. He experienced anger. He says in every way. But he got through that without sin. And so basically what the scripture teaches us... You don't have to worry about being perfect because you have an advocate to the Father who is perfect. And not only is he perfect, he understands why you're not. Isn't that awesome? He understands why we're not perfect. And so why would we want to act perfect? Why would we want to act pious? Why would we want to act religious? Why do we think we have to practice a certain way to approach God? He knows we're no good except for his grace except for his mercy, except for his compassion, except for the work of Christ on the cross, except for the living, active word of God which is implanted in your souls and is able to save you and transform you. And the last reason we can be real with God is because you can be who and what you are. Verse 16. Let us then with boldness or irreverence Draw near to the throne of grace that may we receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So you have to understand the whole concept of the throne of grace is what? Grace. You know what grace means? It means unmerited, unearned favor. And so when we approach God with a certain way of prayer that we think, okay, God's going to hear this prayer because I did it a certain way at a certain time for a certain length of time for a certain reason, that has nothing to do with grace. Nothing. And guys, prayer is not about getting answers. Did you know that? I mean, sure, you can petition God for things, but prayer is not primarily about getting answers from God on your behalf or on someone else's behalf. It's about a relationship it's, I mean, if you have a relationship with somebody in your life, your spouse or a friend or a neighbor or a sibling or something like that, is your relationship all about getting stuff from them? If it is, then it's pretty shallow. It's about relating and interacting and being vulnerable and having fun and laughing. If you're with somebody you can never laugh, try some Seinfeld or something. You've got to laugh a little bit. But you can be who and what you are. And so for me, what transformed my life several years ago, when somebody would ask me, what are some of your best memories? I'm just going to be real with you here. I had to confess, not many of them were spiritual. 
at least not by definition of what I thought spiritual was. I thought spiritual had to be my devotional time or when I saw somebody come to Christ, maybe when I baptized someone, maybe while I was preaching and it was a good sermon. You know, some of the best times, I went with a friend of mine, I think I shared this with you guys, it's still one of the, we had so much fun laughing. I went with one of my best friends to a Super Bowl a few years ago when the Steelers were playing the, the Cardinals. I had a Steelers jersey and a Cardinals jersey, and whoever was winning, that was the shirt I wore. <laughs> so at one minute, I was surrounded by some Cardinal fans and some Steeler fans, and when I was wearing the Cardinals jersey, they, I, they were with me. When I put it on, they'd boo me, and the Steeler fans would accept me, and it was just a blast. I had a blast. It was so fun. We were laughing. When I got home, you know, my stomach was hurting, not because of all the brats I ate. I actually did good that day. But we were just laughing so much. And I thought to myself, why couldn't that be what prayer is like? And then I had it. It can be. You see, I can be with a good friend laughing. Last night at Nightlife, I was talking to a couple of the kids with Chris Martini, one of our staff members, and we were just having a blast. Remember, we were laughing, and I said, man, this is what memories are about. And so one of the ingredients that I want to add to your prayer life is memorability. It's time to create some memories, some prayer moments. I mean, you don't always hear this, man, y'all remember that time that we were all quiet and reflected? That was sick, yo. <laughs> that rocked the house, man. We were sitting there for an hour, didn't say nothing. Oh, man. <laughs> Maybe some of you, but for me, that's just not the way I roll, you know? And so what I'm trying to add to your prayer experience today is not just quiet time, but how about some loud time? Easy. How about some loud time for a change? Look, I, I want to make sure you understand, I'm not discounting quiet time with God. I'm not at all. It's certainly a part of a life of prayer, but it's such a small part, especially for somebody like me who's only quiet when I'm sleeping. And even then, my wife says I snore really loud. So even my quiet time is loud. Irreverent prayer. Obviously, I put that title in quotations early because... If all things are naked and exposed, there's no such thing as irreverence. Because God already knows who you are. There are no secrets. And you can be both quiet, both loud, both funny and reflective. Smart and dumb. You can be gracious. You can be angry. You can be melancholy. You can be depressed. You can be ecstatic. You can be at a football game with bratwursts. You can do anything. And you have to be able to, if our life really is supposed to be prayer, without ceasing.